the tenant for this was I had a player that was that was really technically focused and forgotten how to score, a young pro, and I just wanted him to fight, figure out how to score again. So I just sent him out with a task of getting to 10 under par. His goal was to get to 10 under par playing off junior or ladies tees, and he was out there for six hours until he did it. Simple as that. Could you imagine being out on the course for that long? Or for the guys out there, could you imagine playing from the ladies' tees? For most of you, I'm guessing not. I'm guessing that you're comfortable at your course, comfortable with the tees you play, comfortable with the greens, and happy that you've gotten your handicap down to whatever it is. So why would you want to introduce completely new ways to play and train into your practice routines? You know, really it's making yourself completely uncomfortable potentially setting yourself up for some form of embarrassment. Here's another one for you. What if you did something like this? Right, so for practice, what we do, what Graham and I have, have done uh, is give you, because we've, we've put it out there before, but so we'll have, we'll set tasks that are like seven hours long. We train them beyond the needs of performance. So if, if your training level's high, or above the needs of performance, when you actually do it, it's a lot easier. What most golfers do is train beyond, uh, below the, the needs of performance, and then they actually try and perform, they find it difficult. Welcome to the Golf Science Lab, a place for you to learn what's truly going on in the world of golf science, while bringing you the insights that you need so that you can improve your game. If you want to learn more, get all the resources, papers, updates, and be the first to know about anything that happens at the Golf Science Lab, get on the Insider email list. Go to golfsciencelab.com backslash insider. You get access to some awesome exclusive content you're not going to want to miss. And we're diving in here to the first season of the Golf Science Lab on motor learning. You've heard how broken the current paradigm of practice and skill acquisition truly is. And we're taking it a step further today and talking about constraint-based coaching. I would describe a constraint-led approach as, as creating uh, performance problems and uh, challenging the individual to come up with solutions to those problems. Okay, and these, these solutions could be a, a change in a motor pattern, a change in a strategy, a change in a way of thinking. And that is Graham McDowell. I'm a full-time lecturer in the area of sports coaching, and I'm also a qualified golf professional, PGA professional, member of the, the PGA of Great Britain. The constraint-led approach is reliant upon identifying the weak points of the player and presenting them with a problem to solve. Along the way, like Graham said, potentially changing their motor patterns, strategy, or way of thinking. We're going to rely pretty heavily on real-life examples in this episode, so let's go back to Peter Arnott. Hey, hi, my name's Peter Arnott. Uh, I'm basically, I'm a got full-time golf teaching professional at Craig Miller Park Golf Club in Edinburgh, working under Scott Gurley Technology. Uh, and I'm currently studying a part-time master's by research in skill acquisition. Let's get into another training program and then talk about why it works. I gave him a task, basically six pars in a row, but he was allowed to go to, for the green in two if he hit past 285. If he didn't, before 285, he had to miss the green and get up and down for par. If he got a bogey, he had to start the task again. So basically, it was pushing him towards hitting the ball really hard. Right? 
So if you think about throwing a ball really hard or, or hitting something hard, you're not really thinking about it. You're just hitting it hard. Text messages flooded in at, at the first time we did the task. Hit the ball straight up. Great just to free me up. His, his stats, he loves taking stats. His stats went from 40% fairways to 70% fairways uh, within a couple of weeks. And he came fifth in a tournament about two months ago. So Peter added in a constraint that if he hit the drive shorter than 285 yards, he had to purposely miss the green and get up and down. But the student still had to make par, otherwise he'd start the game over. It's a massive constraint, but it's more than just the golf shots that he hit, more than just the swing technique. When you watch it as a coach, and we'll walk around as a coach and watch what's happening, you see people slamming clubs, getting annoyed with themselves, having to cope with it, with, with the constant, you know, basically having to concentrate really hard all the time. And it's it's fascinating what emerges from it, especially if they're, you know, five, five six hours in it and they've not, not completed it. You know, and you ask questions afterwards, how did that feel? Or did that represent the feelings that you get when you're playing tournament golf? Oh, yeah, you know. And you see it emerge, you know, they get frustrated, they get annoyed, or, you know, swear words in there and, slamming clubs. Uh, I'll give you an example of another. We're, we're starting to, because we've refined these sessions, we're starting to shape behavior now. So trying to get tasks that, that that really force them to get high numbers, like six, seven, eights, but then rewarding them afterwards and in, in the next hole uh, to bounce back with a birdie or a par. I've quite a few stats with well, a good stat on the PGA Tour bounce back ability. If you look at any really really good player, they have a bad shot. They don't care about it. you know they're they're on an X shot. Examples in the last couple of months, Casey and Poulter have both hit full blown shanks and got pars off them. There's a holistic improvement happening there. Not only are you physically being pushed, but also mentally. Push after every shot, before every shot, you know, just the entire scenario makes everything completely uncomfortable. If we're, if we're doing training with scratch or plus handicap golfers, the, the bad miss of the tee tends to be uh, to the left. So that they'll, they'll kind of hook the ball off the left. So if, if we make if we make a, a task like the, the six par example, which is very demanding actually, um, and we say, well, any par four or par five, the left hand rough is out of bounds. Okay, so... Um, all of a sudden they're, they're standing up there knowing that their, their miss is left okay, and knowing that left's out of bounds and that pretty much you know, is going to uh, mess up the whole task, then again it's forcing them to come up with a, a solution and that solution might be to, to change their motor pattern or it might just be to strategize differently and say okay I need, to, I need to come up with a different strategy here for how I, how I get the most out of my game as it currently is I bet when you hear the guys talking about some of these examples, you're imagining trying it yourself. And no matter your skill level, it sounds hard. It sounds uncomfortable. And it sounds like it'll take a lot of time. And even six hours in, you might not still be able to tackle and complete some of these tasks. So why is it good? And why would you want to struggle? You could say that's a central concept of the constraints-led approach is that um, you would we, never allow you to become comfortable in what you're doing because as soon as you become comfortable, you're becoming over-specialized, you're becoming um, very prone to not being able to deal with adversity. 
okay, because you, you're becoming too comfortable. And that, that typically happens when they become over-specialized into just playing in an environment that they're comfortable with. So the constraints-led approach and the program that we've initiated, initiated at the college is very much based around that 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 concept. And um, the kind of feedback we've had from players who've gone through that program is that when they go away and they play in tournaments, they feel like they have trained beyond the demands of that tournament, okay, because of the 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 type of training that they've done. So they turn up at a tournament, they, you know, typically because of the nature of the thing, we don't have a lot of time to prepare, they don't always get a great look at the golf course, um, but because they've philosophically trained in an environment that is very non-stable, then they, they, they feel a sort of calmness in these environments. They don't, they don't feel uh, overawed by it, uh, and, it and, it's a key, and it's a key attribute that we feel that they need. In a good learning environment, if you're wanting to improve performance, actually become better, the typical result of, oh great, I can hit my seven iron pretty straight and solid every time, that's not the way to become a better golfer. And the more I dive into motor learning and improving, comes down to personal development and principles that you can apply to all areas of your life. Like Graham said, we want our students to be comfortable being comfortable. A core philosophy of our, of our training problem, sorry, of our training program, is this um, aversion of uh, uh, this, this notion of trying to keep them away from stability. That too much stability is a bad thing, and therefore every time you turn up and train in our environment. It's going to feel pretty non-stable to you because the performance environment's a little bit like that. You know, if you look at the success Tiger Woods has had over the last couple of decades, then he's he's a guy who's probably been the best at that, the best at at being comfortable when it gets uncomfortable. Okay, the guy who can adapt to any uh, his environment the best. Okay, and uh, you know, so he's another great example of that. So we've got guys who come through the program and the feedback we get from them is, you know, I kind of feel this calmness, I go away, nothing's kind of flustering me. Um, and, and, and typically the, um, the reason they give for that is because they actually feel like their training environment not only feels like and looks like the performance in context, it's actually, it's actually tougher. Another aspect of this, which Peter mentioned when he introduced himself, is the representative learning environment. This is for the coaches out there. Peter used this phrase with me, information-rich environments instead of information-impoverished environments. And here's a really clear example of how that can play out during a normal golf lesson. Two years ago, I had a Nigerian client that came across uh, his son studying to be a doctor at Edinburgh University. He'd had seven of golf lessons on a driving range in Nigeria. Complete beginner. So... I took him to our indoor area with Trackman with an eight iron and had probably 15, 20 minutes worth of shots. Never missed the ball once. Hit the ball okay. Not amazing, but hit the ball okay. And then I thought this would be interesting. I'll take him out on the golf course and see what happens. I put him on a downhill line. What do you think happened? He missed it. Missed it seven times in a row. Never been in an environment like that, so he didn't know. Didn't know how to hit that shot. So when it comes to self-organization, the, the human system self-organizes itself to the environment it is, it's, it's in. So he, his, his movement pattern, his movement, had self-organized it to a nice flat lie, a nice comfy environment. The minute you put him into chaos, no idea what he's doing. It comes back to the uncomfortable. 
comes back to getting into a place where you're presented with a problem and then you have to learn the solution. So it's uh, your solution of problems different from mine. So it's, it's letting the, the individual find uh, a way that is solved for them to solve that problem instead of putting them in positions. Thank you so much, Peter Arnott and Graham McDowell for sharing with us. You can follow Peter at SGGT Coaching on Twitter and Graham McDowell is at Graham McDowell, G-R-A-E-M-E. M-C-D-O-W-A-L-L at Graham McDowell. Make sure to head over to golfsciencelab.com backslash insider to get access to the content first. Stay up to date on what we're documenting in golf science. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. It was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. And we will see you all next time on the Golf Science Lab.